Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Again, welcome today. I want to talk about courage. Um, Now, courage is the word that's kind of like confidence or boldness. And uh, I don't know who you thought were the cool kids in school growing up. Maybe they wore bell bottoms. Maybe they wore tight rolled jeans. Do I have any people in my era that that in eighth grade, someone wore tight rolled jeans and it was like, wow, that's crazy. Maybe they wore Keds. Converse All-Stars, Crocs, Doc Martens, no, none of those, (laughs) but they didn't just wear them, they rocked them, right? They wore them with boldness and with confidence, and you thought, that is really cool. Mom, I need to go to the mall right now, and I need to get some of those, right? Because it's like there was something about their confidence, their courage that, uh, that we all look to. In fact, it's what we, we naturally look for in other people. It's probably why you look to the leaders that you look to. There's something about them that displays courage, and you know that not everybody who is bold or courageous is worth following. You've probably learned that by now. But I want to talk about godly courage and how do we grow in godly courage, uh, and specifically courage to tell the story. We're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. If you have a copy of scriptures and want to turn there with me, if you have a device that you read the scriptures on, go there. I'm going to have it on the screen for you as well. But, uh, and I've told you this story before in, um, in my, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year of college at Southwest Texas State University, go Bobcats. There are a ton of Bobcats in the room, but there's no school spirit, so don't worry about that. Um, never went to a football game, okay? That's just our school. And I was sitting in probably the largest teaching theater on campus, Dr. Zhu, Philosophy 1310, okay? Dr. Zhu was not a believer in Christ, and he made that very clear. And he also made it clear that he thought you were an absolute moron if you did, okay? And so he would repeatedly, in the class, he he would um, say something derogatory. He would talk about how it didn't make any sense, and it was like over and over again. And so here I am. I'm a fairly new believer. I'm sitting in a massive classroom with like 350 other college students, and God sovereignly placed behind me a girl from the same college ministry that I went to, and whenever he would say something derogatory about Christianity, she would kick my chair. Have you ever heard of the thing called the man card, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about, the man card. It was like she was calling for my man card, like, are you going to let him say that about, about our faith? And so she'd kick my chair, and I would just raise my hand. And I was like, I wasn't even paying attention. I don't know what he just said. I, and I'm like trying to remember like what he talked about. And so as the semester goes on, he realizes like this is the drill, right? And I would raise my hand every time. And I didn't have courage. 
I had peer pressure, okay? <laughs> but I needed courage. And when it comes to telling the God story, that's the series that we're in, the, the story of God, it's the story of Jesus, and it's also the story of how Jesus comes into your life. That moment where like the eyes opened and your heart comes alive and you realize for the first time like this is for real, like God is real, Jesus is alive, and I believe that and, and I actually want to give my life to that. Like when you have that moment and you have not only just the facts about Christianity, but it's like something that you own personally, when it's time to talk about that with someone who may not know that or may not believe that, there's a need for courage, right? Um, if you've struggled to find the courage to talk about your God story, you're not alone. I found this uh, study from Lifeway Research. It's a 2016 study of 2,000 unchurched Americans. So these were people that say, look, I don't go to church. I'm not a part of that uh, uh, thing. So 2,000 people. And here's what they found. I think I have a slide for this if you want to go to that for me. They said that two-thirds of those people have multiple Christian friends. Like they said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know at least one, two, three, four, may, maybe up to a dozen people that would say that they're Christians. And out of those unchurched people, they said 79% of them, they didn't mind their, their Christian friends talking about their faith. They're like, that's cool. Like if that's important to you, I, I'm, I'm okay with you talking about it. 29% of them, however, said that, um, only 29% said that a Christian has ever shared with them one-on-one -on -one how to actually become a Christian. So out of 2,000 unchurched Americans, 29% said, okay, somebody has told me about how do you become one. And then 40% have never heard their Christian friends say anything about their faith at all. Which means that there's a, um, there's a, a sense uh, amongst all of us as believers, especially maybe in the sort of the cultural moment that we're in, that, that we feel a little bit ashamed of the God story. We often lack the courage to talk about it, and I felt it too. Um, and yet this God story, this gospel message is meant to be spoken and it's meant to be spoken not just by preachers on Sunday. It's actually meant to be shared by people who have experienced Jesus and the power of this message for themselves, which is every person who follows him. It's, it's you who have, have come to know Jesus. Like you're meant to be a person who tells the story. And so why is it that we often lack the courage to tell our God story? Well, there's a lot of reasons, right? There's the fear of embarrassment, which is what if they stump me with a question and what if they think I'm a weirdo? Have you ever felt that before? Like, as soon as I talk to this person, like, I can tell they're a smart person. I'm going to tell them about my faith. And they're going to say something that I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that before. I, I, I didn't know that, right? And I'm going to have to go do a bunch of research. And, and they're going to think I'm a weirdo. Or, or there's the fear of rejection, which is like, what if I'm that guy, right? Oh, here comes Jesus guy, hide, right? <laughs> fear of failure. What if I say it wrong? What if I let God down by saying it wrong? 
What if they start to point out all of my shortcomings and they're like, oh yeah? Well, what about that time that you said that and you did this and you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and we have the fear of like failure. There's the fear of loss. Some of you might've felt like, what if I lose my job by talking about my faith at work? Or what if I lose my relationships? I like this person. I don't want to make it awkward or weird. There's the fear of persecution of what if they mock me or accuse me of being a hateful, narrow-minded, judgmental bigot, right? We feel that pressure. There's the fear of vulnerability. What if they think I'm weak? Or what if they shred something that is so deeply personal to me and it's sacred to me and they just, they just shred it? And then there's the fear of commitment. Now, this might sound weird, but what if they say yes to Jesus? And then I have to figure out, like, what do I do now? Like, do I have to walk like, do, with them? Like, do, do we meet together every, you know, Tuesday? Or how, how does this work, right? There's, there's a fear of, like, I, I don't know what to do next. A fear of commitment. So I'm just curious, out of all those fears, like, which are you most prone to? Like, if you're just honest with yourself, which one of those are like, gosh, I think that's probably most, most like me. Um, and if these God stories need to be told, how do we find the courage to tell them? I think this passage helps us. 2 Timothy 1. I'm going to read the first 12 verses if you want to follow along with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life, in Christ Jesus. Side note, backstory. Paul, this is the last letter that Paul writes. Paul is in his second imprisonment. He knows that time is short. He's uh, imprisoned under the reign of Nero. Nero was a very, very young emperor, and he was a very harsh emperor in that he, I think he died in his 30s, and this guy was a persecutor of Christians. I mean, he was a hardcore persecutor of Christians. And so Paul is seeing the writing on the wall, and I love this about him in this moment for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Verse two, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. That word ancestors can also mean forefathers or parents. So we're, we're getting a little insight into Paul's story. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. We're getting a little insight into Timothy's story. Verse 6, therefore... I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. 
He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Ah, that right there, before time began. Verse 10. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death. Again, he's staring at the end of his life. He's abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul. He's writing this prison letter. Uh, The church tradition says that he was beheaded not long after the writing of this letter. The tone, obviously, is a father to a son, Incredibly personal. In fact, it's so personal and it's so different that scholars uh, at, at, at certain points have thought that this really wasn't from Paul because the tone is so different and even the way that he writes is different than how he would write a letter to a whole church. And so he's writing an incredibly personal letter and he's giving a call to endurance. And last week, we talked about what to do when your story stalls out, right? And how to run the race. And we talked about the word endurance. And specifically here, he's also giving a call to courage. He obviously knows Timothy like his own son, and he's seen something in Timothy that, that makes him aware that there's, there's a way that he feels timid. There, there's, there's a tendency towards, towards fear. And he says that this in verse 8, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Now, that word ashamed means embarrassed. That's what it means. That there's something in Timothy that's a little bit embarrassed when it comes time to tell the God's story. And that word testimony, um, you guys know, like in a court of law, what a testimony is. It's, it's a firsthand authentication of a fact. It's an open acknowledgement, a public profession. And it's from the Latin word, which means witness. And a person who has a personal knowledge of something is going to give a testimony. And he's calling Timothy to be courageous. And so I just want us to to learn what does this mean for Timothy as he literally seeks to encourage, to put courage into him. What does he tell him? And how does that help us as people who need courage to tell the God story? The the first thing comes from verses three through five. And and he says this, right? I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. And and he says, I I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I I recall your sincere faith. And I I don't know if you have a person like this in your life who, who speaks to you with such encouragement, I mean, just imagine being Timothy. And I think we all need people like this in our life. And and here's what he's basically saying. He says, Timothy, my son, I am praying for you all the time. 
Do you have anyone that prays for you all the time? He says, I can't wait to see you again because you bring me great joy. Do you have anyone like that? It's like they just love to see you. They light up when they see you because you bring them joy. And he says this to him, I know your story and you're the real deal. That's what he told him. There's, I can see it in you. This faith is real. It is sincere. I mean, do you have people speaking life into you like that? Um, I met with a man, his name's Jim Stern, and he helps churches uh, uh, develop a discipleship pathway. And here's what he said. He said, you will never share a faith that you don't feel good about. I was like, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Maybe one of the reasons why we don't talk about the faith is that we're not even sure like how we're doing. We don't feel good about what's happening in our life. And, and, and there's a, a thing that we talk about here. It's on the back wall, and it says that we're to grow in community. And, and the first thing that I think that helps us is that we cultivate a community of encouragement, that this is a, a, a discipleship community. Paul has had Timothy walk with him for years, right? And, and he's just been living life together, and he's just been filling Timothy with courage. He's encouraging him. And I think that this is a, it's a vision for our church, for our house churches, that we would become places where we literally breathe encouragement into one another. That, that we would be the kind of people who pray for one another. Like, like when you're in house church and someone shares something, that you actually take that home with you and you say, Jesus, please help them today. Lord, I just want to remember them. Like throughout the day when you're driving, oh God, please help them today. With that thing. It's like this, if we could be people who could say with honesty, like I'm praying for you all the time. Or... I can't wait to see you again because I really enjoy you. You bring joy to me. Or I know your story. By the way, here in this big gathering, I can't know all your stories. You can't know all each other's stories. But in our house churches, you can actually know each other's stories. And we can say, look, I see sincere faith in you. Like I see God all over your life. It's to, it's to cultivate a community of encouragement. And that, that word culture simply means this, what's normal here? That this would be normal for us as a church because we're not designed to live in risk all the time. And so when you're out there and you have an opportunity to share the story, it's like you need safe places that are breathing life into you so that when you're in that moment, you're like, I feel so good about where I'm at with Jesus because I've got people who are just breathing life into me. It's like putting deposits in a bank account so that when you need it, there's money in there, right? That, that's the kind of courageous encouragers that we need to be who are putting courage into one another. The, the second thing is this. It's to stir up spiritual encouragement by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just kind of tiptoe our way into some mystery. Are y'all cool with a little mystery? All right? 
Because there's something in this passage that has a sense of mystery, and yet it's a calling for us to sort of engage with this mysterious thing. Here's what he says. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. What? Did y'all catch that? Your translation might say fan into flame or, or like billows that would blow into a fireplace. Or, or if you're King James Version Christian, it's going to say stir up, like literally to stir up the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. What is he talking about? Well, this, the, the verse after that helps us to understand. For God has not given us what? A spirit of fear. So it's not that kind of a spirit, but he has given us of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. It is one of power, love, and sound judgment. And here's what I want you to do with that. It's a gift of God that is in you. It's through the laying on of my hands. And here's, I want you to go home and I want you to stir that. I want you to rekindle it. I I want you to to get the billows out and blow breath into the gift of God that is in you. He's telling him to stir up spiritual encouragement by the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, that gift of God, if you look into the the old, um, you know, the the, the Greek text, it's going to say charisma. It's the the grace gift. It's the unmerited gift of God that is in you called the Holy Spirit. And he's to stir it up. And he gives this contrast. There's a spirit of fear, and then there's the spirit of God. So let's talk about the spirit of fear. Your translation might say timidity. Cowardice. It's me sitting in that classroom. He says something derogatory about Christianity. The girl kicks my chair. And inside, what's going on is like, uh, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And whatever I'm going to say is probably going to be totally nonsense. In, but raise my hand anyway. Right. And what he's saying is that whenever you are teed up to tell the story and you're freaking out, the freak out is not from God. And that's actually helpful to know that. That feeling, that fear, the, the, the timidity, the, the cowardice is not from God. Anything that causes that kind of fear inside of us is not from the Holy Spirit. And that's really helpful to know. And then he gives us the spirit of God. And he gives us these three characteristics. Power. Now that that word is dunamis. That's how you would pronounce it. But it's the root word of our word dynamite. Dynamo, dynamic. Right? It's that power is what he's talking about. That the spirit brings power. And it's a power that comes into you that doesn't originate with you. 
It's not a self-generated power. It's not like I, I zinned out for like three days and now I have power. It's like, no, no, this is not a self-generated power. It's something that's going to come into you and it actually never originated with you. It's not like you recited enough things to yourself and you finally got it into your head. It's like, oh, yes, I'm strong. You know, no, no. It's power from outside of you that comes into you. It's so good. In Acts 1.8, you probably know the passage. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the big day of Pentecost, and he says, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my what? Do y'all know? My witnesses. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There is a type of power that comes from the Holy Spirit. There's a boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit, but you also probably know that there is a type of courage, a type of boldness that does not come from the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? It's the bully. It's the, it's the know-it-all. And this next characteristic helps us to distinguish how do we know when it's from the Holy Spirit and from ourself. He says it's love. Power and love. The word love is, you probably know the word agape, which is a self-giving love. It, it is a, it's self-giving for the benefit of other people. And this Holy Spirit boldness is actually for the benefit of other people. It's not so that you feel powerful. It's so that you are empowered to actually give something to someone else. It's an other-centered kind of love. And the fleshly boldness is actually for the benefit of myself. It's, it's a self-protection. It's, it's something that I can use against or at the expense of another person. But th this love and this power that comes from the Spirit is something that does not originate with me, and it's actually used in the service of other people. And then third, sound judgment, which literally means moderation or self-discipline. It's a self-control. Again, it's, it's courage and boldness and power and it's love. And when this is of the flesh or of the self, right, there's no breaks. It's all gas and no breaks. There's, there's no self-control. It's like I will, I will take this boldness, this courage, and I will, I will beat somebody with it because it's not from the Holy Spirit. But there's this type of power, love, and, and sound judgment, the self-control that is from the Holy Spirit that's actually going to serve people. It's going to empower you. And you're going to know how to use it. You're going to have gas and brakes. You know how to use the gift of God that is in you. And here's what was so fascinating to me. Timothy's not a new Christian. Timothy's lived with Paul for years. He's uh, probably in his late 40s at this moment, okay? And, and he's a veteran. He's a leader. He's a leader of leaders. And to the veteran, to the, the man in his late 40s, the apostle Paul says to him, stir it up. 
fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. And I think that's a word for some of us in this room. It's like we, we need to hear that again. Like the, the Lord wants us to stir up this encouragement that he wants to give us in the Holy Spirit. If Timothy needed to do it, I think we need to do it too. So we have this encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit. We have encouragement that comes from other people. Lastly, it's to courageously step out in faith knowing God will meet you there. Uh, I found a quote. I love this quote. I've used it before. It's from John Wayne. So it can't be wrong, right? Do, do you have a slide for that, for the John Wayne quote? Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways. Isn't that good? Thank you, John. We needed to hear that today. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up Anyways, and here's the thing about this phrase. He uses the phrase, he says, I want you to share in suffering for the gospel. And that, that means to suffer hardship in company with. It's to get down into the trenches together. It's to show solidarity in the midst of adversity. And if you've been watching the Ukraine war and you see the trench warfare that they've dug, and it's like the old school, it's like they're running around in trenches together, you know, dodging bullets. And that's what he's saying. Look, I want you to share in the suffering. I want you to get down in the trenches together, and you're going to be scared to death. But guess what? Do it anyway. Courageously step out in faith, knowing God will meet you there. And that was me in philosophy 1310. There was this moment... um, this was probably later. This is probably one of the last uh, class periods of, of the semester. Um, Dr. Zhu misquotes a passage of scripture. And when he misquotes it, I'm like, I am an idiot to believe this, right? Like, that's how convincing it was. Like, oh my gosh, I, like, I have been totally duped by Christianity. Like, I, I need to figure this out. But there was something about how he said it that I was like, that doesn't sound exactly like I remember that verse. And this was before we had iPhones, okay? So I actually had a study Bible, thankfully, in my backpack that had a concordance, and I could find that verse. And so I'm, you know, I'm like feverishly trying to find that verse of like, you know, this is life or death for me. Like, is Jesus real or not? Like, I need to know. And so I find the verse, and he just, he misquoted it. It's the wrong wording. He put the words in the wrong order. And when you see it, it's like, oh, this makes total sense. So, I raise my hand. But by the end of the semester, he knows. Every time, I, it's every time I say something about Christianity, this guy raises his hand. And I wait. And I'm telling you, I waited probably the entire class period. I had to do the whole prop your arm up thing, you know what I'm saying? We are just like, uh, switch, you know? I'm back and forth for like, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes that I'm waiting. Finally, he realizes like he's not going to let this go right? He's not going to give up. And I stand up and I say, sir, earlier you quoted the passage and I think you, I think you misquoted it. I just want to read for you what it says. And so I read the verse. There's a pause. And he says, I stand corrected. And in that moment, 
the entire 350 people just start clapping. They're like, whoa! It was like the underdog finally won, right? The guy who said nonsense all year finally said something right, and he stood corrected. It was this beautiful moment. And in that moment, do you know what I felt? I felt God. Just stepping out. Every time, it's like, this is probably not going to work. Like Peter stepping on the water to Jesus, it's like, this is probably not going to work, but I'm going to try it anyway, right? It's, it's just courage to take the step. In that moment, I just felt the, the smile of heaven. It's like God met me in the moment that I took the step. And I think that's important for us to understand as people who need courage to tell the God story that sometimes you, you have all the fears going on inside of you and you just kind of go, uh, actually, let me share this with you. And you just pray, God, would you just take whatever I say right now and do something with it? Meet me there. So, there's an encouragement that we can only experience on the other side of courageous faith steps. I want to close with this. This is um, the last part of these verses. Here's what he says. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher, and that's why I suffer these things. Oh, and Timothy, just, you know, when you're feeling lack of courage, when you're feeling ashamed, I just want you to look to me, your spiritual father, but I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and have persuaded that he is able to guard what, he is, what has been entrusted to me until that day. I believe what he's telling him is, A, don't forget what the gospel is. It's always been a story that wasn't about you. It was always about Jesus. It was always about his grace. It was always about his mercy on people who are sinful and weak and who need lots and lots of things. It was always a gift of grace to you. And find courage knowing that the story isn't about you. Because if the story was all about me, then it's all about how well did I do telling that story was it good enough? Did it, did it work? Maybe I should change. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it, you start going down a hole when it's all about you. And it actually erodes our courage. There's a courage that comes from knowing that it was always a story that was ultimately about Jesus. It's not a story about my goodness or your goodness. It's a story about his goodness. It, it, it's, it's your story. And your story is one more wonderful incredible, deeply personal testimony 
of how Jesus loved and rescued an undeserving sinner. Which means this, you're free to tell it with great enthusiasm because it's not about you. You're not a self-promoter. Um, legend tells us that there was a, a white-haired man in his 80s living in the ancient city of, of Ephesus. And in Ephesus, this was a, a city that was full of idol worship, and they would have a festival every year. And this festival, they would march their you know, big idols through the street. They would sing pagan songs. They would do pagan practices like in the streets, right? It was probably pretty crazy, okay? And there's this old white-haired man in his 80s, and uh, he's a bishop. He's, he's a church leader, a leader of churches in the area. And it says that he, he attempted to stop the parade of people and to tell them the true story about Jesus Christ. And they beat him. They drug him through the streets and they stoned him to death. His name was Timothy. Which means this he found courage to tell the story to the end. Which means you and I can find courage to tell the story too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.